0: I'm Nick Law and you're listening to the Hop Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hop Forward is a weekly podcast dedicated to the craft beer industry, featuring interviews, discussions and stories from the whole brewing supply chain, from grain to glass. So grab yourself a glass, pour yourself a beer and get ready Hello to hop forward. Welcome to in another session on the and Hop Forward. It was so good to see. So many of you at Ciba BRX in Liverpool recently in 3D got to meet people in real life. It's so weird when you get to meet people online and get to know them and then you meet them in person. So if I met you in person, it was lovely to meet you. And I want to offer a genuine thanks to all the listeners that came up to me throughout the course of the two days I was there to encourage me and say how much they enjoy listening to the Hot 4 podcast From the bottom of my heart, it actually meant quite a lot, particularly given that my ego was slightly wounded, that I didn't win the best craft beer promotion, which went to the wonderful Pellicle. And I am made up for Matt and the team at Pellicle. I know it means a lot in particular to Matt. Um, So I'm super chuffed that if I was going to lose to somebody, it was Pellicle. Yeah, so just a huge thanks if you came up to offer me some encouragement. It reminds me why I keep doing this and why I keep going. So, Also, you might have noticed I was a little intoxicated on Wednesday and I'm sure we recounted the story to you. But if I didn't and you, you saw me floating around looking like I was on cloud nine, I was on the beer judging panel for the finals, which was great. I turned up and it said on the crib sheet that I'd be judging premium keg lager, which I was looking forward to, and low to no ABV beers, which someone's got to hit a bullet, haven't they? but there was a little bit of a mix-up. So we ended up doing Specialty Light beers, which was interesting, some good beers in that category. And then I was I was hoping and praying for like the Imperial Stout Strong Ale category. And uh, lo and behold, there is a God <laughs> because that is the category I got. Maybe to my detriment because um, I don't think there was a beer under 10% in that. It didn't taste like it. Um, they were all dark. They'd all tasted... Well, I say they were all dark. There was one triple IPA or something. You don't get to see the ABV, but it tasted like a triple IPA. It was, you know, sort of orangey, yellowy, hazy coloured and tasted strong. But the rest of them were all like impy stouts or old ales that had been barrelled in something or other. I mean, oh, it was, as it sounds like, every beer scored super well and it was hard to choose between them. But you can imagine what I was like afterwards. So um, if I came up to you and said all kinds of, bullshit, then <laughs> I apologise. Um, I don't always get that drunk, to be honest with you, but you know, special occasions. It's been a couple of years since being at Seba Beer so there you go. So this week on the podcast, I'm talking to Ivan and Justin from Jolly Good Beer, a distributor who've been very vocal about one-trip kegs, especially poly kegs, and the lack of recycling and sustainability that accompanies many of these one-trip kegs, and from the industry, the lack of focus on it. There are some major environmental issues when it comes to plastics. We all know this. We've all seen David Attenborough talking about it in his husky voice. But, you know, still we seem to have this mentality that plastic magically disappears the minute we put it in a blue bin or in the recycling bag to go wherever it goes. You know, this leaves us with the question, as we discussed today, how much of it is just talk versus how much is real action? Don't get me wrong, it's bloody hard to do, not just recycling, but trying to reduce your waste and your plastics, which is the main goal rather than just recycling them. We're all busy people. We're all trying to run businesses and there's not always time to give it active thoughts. But what kind of world will there be if we carry on down this path? If we keep kicking the can down the road, sooner or later, the road will end and then someone's going to have to literally carry the can and it will possibly be our generation or at least our kids' generation. And that's really sad and I think as a brewing industry, we, we produce a lot of waste. There's a lot of waste water. There's a lot of waste materials. And I think as a wider industry, we need to do more. So I thought it would be really great to have the guys from Jolly Good Beer come on the podcast to talk about it more in depth, because they certainly know a lot more than I do. And it gives you some good food for thought. So on that cheery note, before we crack open today's discussion... To let you know, I'm hoping to buy some fermenting thoughts next week about 40 years in beers, as next Thursday, I turn the grand old age of 40. I'm so incredibly old, circa 1982. I'm sure there are people listening to this and be like, you don't even know you're born, mate, 1982. You missed out on all the good music. That's what people who are in their 50s say, isn't it? That the 80s was the best. We all know that the 90s was the best people who are in their 40s say it, just like people in their 30s are probably going on about The Killers, Razor Light, The Kooks and all that. Anyway, so keep an ear out for that. I'll be jolly well enjoying my time in London, watching the Back to the Future musical. I mean, come on, Back to the Future musical. Like It's like they've merged two of my favourite things, music and Back to the Future, put them in one thing. So we're going to go watch that as a family. And then I'm going to take them to the Pembury Tavern and have some very nice beer and pizzas in one of my favorite pubs in London. So keep an ear out for my fermenting thoughts. But for now, here's some info on the Hot Ford podcast, and then we'll crack open today's discussion on sustainability and one-trip kegs with Ivan and Justin from Jolly Good Beer. Not only is Hot Ford a brewing industry dedicated podcast, but we also provide creative media solutions and consultancy for companies and people who are looking to get ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hot Forward works with a range of diverse enterprises from across the world of beer to provide branding and marketing consultancy, brewing and business advice, and bespoke creative solutions to help you hot rocket your way to success. Check out hotforward.beer for more info or connect with us on social media at Hot Forward Beers. For now, grab a beer and let's crack open today's discussion. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Yvonne from Jolly Good Beer. Hello. Hi there. How's it going? Oh, okay. Yeah, all things considered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, just since you're joining us, hello. Hello. It's been a while since I spoke to you as well.
1: <laughs> yeah, been good. Um, very busy. We've um, got a load of, load of load of events coming out this weekend, so I've just been um, rushing around trying to finalise those and get uh beer where it's supposed to be. So, um, yeah, a little bit of a drama this morning, but uh, we'll be here now.
0: <laughs> All for games. Can you tell us a little bit about Jolly Good Beer? I wonder if you could share a bit about the company, what you do, how long you've been going and what kind of breweries and outlets you work with.
2: Okay. Uh, I started Jolly Good Beer nearly eight years ago. It'll be eight years in April. Uh, Basically, just to sell beers that I like to the local area I was in at the time. Um, So, pretty much Cambridgeshire, Hertfordshire area. Uh, And uh, it's sort of just grown from there. I started out with a refrigerated shipping container and a van and just myself. Now we have well, about 18 people, um, 15 of them, payroll, a couple of contractors, myself, and six vehicles and a large cold store in the Fens. Right. You don't <laughs> so, sound like uh, from the UK. Where you, where? are where you from originally? I'm from Western Australia. Right. Um, But that was uh, – I moved to uh, the UK in 2006. Right, okay. As a software engineer. So what, what sort of areas do Jolly Good Beer cover? Yep. Okay. So pretty much we started out in East Anglia, more East Anglia focused but we have since then spread out as far as pretty much almost all the way across the Midlands and we go up as far north as Macclesfield and Sheffield and we now do all of London and go down down as far south as sort of like, well, south coast Brighton. All right. Okay. Uh, uh, So it's a pretty big area. Uh, It's uh, pretty much the maximum extent that we can logistically do out of our current site now uh, without we've tried a bit further afield but it gets a bit difficult with drivers uh, we don't want to make their lives difficult <laughs> mm, yeah yeah and uh, have humane logistics routes and we were doing things where we had people driving out further west and further north and staying in hotels but it wasn't really economically sustainable and We have a small sub-depot down in Kent. So that's – if we wanted to spread further afield, that would have to be the way we do it. Yeah. Um, It's a fairly complex and expensive exercise setting up uh, additional sites. Mm. So – we cover a pretty big area. I don't think I'm in a rush to make that any larger at the moment. Fair enough.
0: Brill, well, um, I I wanted to get stuck into this week's uh, topic of conversation. Um, Recently, I saw on social media that you'd you'd ruffled a few feathers uh, with some industry folk and beer rices regarding one-trip kegs and how you feel like enough people aren't talking about them and the impacts they have on the environment and, I guess, the supply chain. So, I wondered if we could start with a roundup of of what those thoughts were on One Trip Kegs and why you think they're problematic for the brewing and hospitality industry.
2: The key problem with One Trip Kegs, the plastic ones, is they are plastic. Mm. I am not a fan of anything that is plastic, especially if it's single use. These products hit the market and make big ecological claims, saying that they're wonderful, that they're all recyclable, but that's the, that's the hitch. It says it's recyclable. Someone's got to recycle it, and that's the bit that doesn't happen. So when Kikeg was the first one to really hit the market big in the UK, and it was the same problem back then. Uh, there was just nothing you could do with the things. You've got four different types of plastic, in their case, pretty much glued together. Mm. So you put that in your normal recycling, and it just gets thrown in the bin. Because these recycling chains are optimized to sort stuff quickly. They pick up your, your plastic tray from Tesco, they know what it is, they put it in the right place. They can't take these plastic eggs apart. So the moment you throw those things in recycling, there's I guarantee nowhere in the UK is going to be recycling that. Uh, the only thing that might happen to it other than landfill is incineration, which is used as a power generation thing. Um, so that might happen. Um, it's still pretty, pretty single use at that point. It's, Mm. It's been destroyed. Uh, so that was, I mean, we. I've been chasing the recycling room for a long time, and uh, I wish it was more of a perception issue because it's doesn't, none, these things don't get fixed until it hits someone economically. Uh, I think Kikeg realized early on that the craft beer industry especially is more interested in this sort of thing in the craft beer drinker, the whole sector is a little bit more switched on to the environmental impacts of what they're doing than, say, the mainstream. Yeah. So they did implement this thing. I mean, they renamed the whole company to One Circle and they implemented this circular recycling scheme. It's far from complete. There's still work to do there. Uh, But prior to that, we had for years still collected them, but we were hooked up with an incineration company that was using them in power generation. The other aspect is to solve the problem for the customs because the customer's got this great big piece of plastic. Uh, we've got multiple customers who are in council areas that have started just refusing to take those things. So they've got a big waste problem. So they either buy a much bigger bin contract, throw it in the waste because uh, they won't take it in the recycling. Um, and they just end up with these things piled around the place becoming annoying. So they choose not to buy those beers, uh, which is bad for the breweries the breweries don't really see that side of things because they're not necessarily on that interface all the time. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, there's two problems. There's the practical logistical problem for the customers, for the trade, and there is, to me, the more important environmental problem. Um, these companies that are producing these plastic objects need to be responsible for their full life cycle Mm. And perhaps the breweries themselves should take more responsibility, whether that's in an action or in better due diligence. Just because someone comes into your business and says, look, here's this thing. Don't worry. It's fully recyclable. You shouldn't believe that because they're usually lying. Uh, so we come on to polycakes. Um, yeah, okay. They're made of out of PET and polypropylene, but they have the same problem as key kegs in that you put this into the recycling, it's just a big object made up of multiple things. It's going to get thrown away. So it needs specialist recycling set up. Uh, and that's, so they, they hit the market with the eco claims, but with none of this set up, there was nothing. Uh, so suddenly pretty much overnight we had because of major suppliers, switch this on the breweries without even asking the breweries. So suddenly it was just like, yeah, you're using volley kegs now. Um, so the uh, uh, major supplier did a switch, and overnight we had about fifty percent of our normal return <laughs> plastic volume move over to this other brand, which we couldn't get rid of.
0: Out of interest, what were we the kegs it. before? What what kind of brand of kegs were there before?
2: Uh, almost entirely key keg before, right? Um, so then there's also on the market. You are keg, very small numbers, but you also see uh, eco keg, yeah, and the eco keg guys take will, will pallet back their. Empties to be reused. So the inner, I believe, goes to recycling. Mm. But the big, the heavy-duty black plastic outer can be reused by breweries, and we have traditionally actually redistributed them to some breweries as well. The uh, other ones, the dolium and the pertainer, are probably the, the other two more common ones. We only see very small numbers of these. We had our policy before was that we collected everything because the numbers of them were so small. It was easier to just have a blanket policy without, rather than having our drivers having to work out what different kegs are. Mm. So we just, we previously just collected all plastic kegs. So it was just nice and easy for everyone, despite the fact we didn't have a recycling solution for the brown ones. So the brown plastic kegs are a problem, because the brown plastic, a little bit like the uh, grey plastic, that's used by Holly Keg, uh, have pretty much zero recycling value. The recycling companies want clear PET black or white polypropylene. They don't want brown PET and gray PET because there's very there's a lot more limited reuse for that in the secondary market for recycling. Yep. So we're struggling to find people who will take those plastics. Uh, so Petainer and Dolim have never done anything as far as I'm aware with respect to, to recycling. Um, again, they're like the others. They just go, look, here's a plastic keg. It's made out of plastic, therefore it's all good. Uh, but that's not the end of the story. So they all go to waste as well. Um, uh, so the only people who've really done anything massively proactive on fixing their recycling issues would be Key Keg and Eco Keg. Right. Uh, I want them to fix it. I like my motivation in if I cause any sort of noise about this sort of thing. It's mainly motivated to prod them into action. Um, to get something happening. Uh, meanwhile, we do try to find our own solutions, but we're a small business. It's very hard to set up recycling streams for us. We talk to people and we go, yeah, if you can do 10 tons at a time, that's like, we're we're, not, we're nowhere near that situation. Mm. Um, so that's why with the Kike guys, we bail it all. It all goes back to them centrally and they do theirs internally. Um, so that works quite well.
0: Yeah. Do you think that there's an onus on breweries then in particular to do their own due diligence when it comes to how these kegs are or aren't, as it sounds, recycled.
2: I I think it's an ethical and moral issue for everyone in the industry. I think that brewers should be well aware of what happens with the materials they use and the waste they produce. The plastic kegs they fill, they should think of as a potential waste stream and they should worry about where it goes to and how it's handled. I know I do. I'm not even the one filling it, but as a distributor, I'm sending all these plastic containers out to places and that does that makes me uneasy. Um, that's why we've actively worked to find solutions for this for so many years. Mm. I think we have a responsibility. I think the brewers have a greater responsibility and I think the manufacturer of the object itself has the greatest responsibility. Um, but everyone seems to want to push the responsibility down the chain. And it ends up with the trade, with the pubs. And they're not in any position of capability or power to recycle a handful of plastic kegs, given the complexities of the recycling industry. It needs to come up the chain. It needs to be handled in a bulk way. Uh, so brewers brewers definitely should be aware of this. I mean, I think our industry specifically, and by that I mean the craft beer industry, as much as that has no definition, but uh, uh, I think the small microbrewery type industry, the independent industry, should automatically have a better focus on, on ethical and moral issues. Uh, it's one of the things that differentiates us from the mainstream, uh, what should be anyway. <laughs> yeah, It isn't universally the case. Mm. But, uh, you know, I, I think it's important and I think the brewers should definitely bear that in mind. Mm. Justin,
0: have you got anything to add to that?
1: Yeah, I mean, say same, same story. Um, I started a while before Ivan, um, back when I started um handling one-way plastic kegs, it was the original um eco keg, which had a large black plastic. I remember outside. that. Yeah. Yeah. And we used to we used to do all sorts of things with them. We uh, used use them for use them for log storage and we use them for giving them away to local gardeners and had a whole um, cottage industry of doing something with these black outers. And in the end, I put my hand in my pocket and I spent a load of money getting a load of them reprocessed into um, plastic tiles for kids' playgrounds. Right. Um, which was a good, a good result at the end of the day, but it, it was still a big cost to undertake as an individual. So I think what's key do? with their one-circle system is very good. Um, it takes waste waste product, returns it to where it came from. They reprocess it properly. And now we've got keycakes, is it 39% of that? I think that's the number they gave. yeah.
2: 39% recycled, their own recycled plastic going back into Kikix yeah. production.
1: Yeah, so wow. I think that's fantastic. I think it's a very, very responsible way of dealing with it. Mm. Um, we have kind of a tongue, tongue-in-cheek internal reference where we call things either evil or non-evil, <laughs> <laughs> depending on what, what impact we think they have outside of the industry. Um, so obviously, all big beer is evil, and most small beer is non-evil. And um, whilst it's extremely tongue-in-cheek, it's also has an element of as all these things of truth in it. Mm. So we're looking at being as non-evil as we can possibly be. And that changeover from key keg to um polykeg changed that because we were taking taking a product that we know is recyclable and recycled. Um And we were changing something that was not recycled. It was perhaps reused in the early stages. And now it's not even that. Yep. Because when it was was originally going to, I think they were shredding it and making it as garments.
2: Yeah. So Polykeg pushed the problem onto Murphy and Son. Um, So Murphy and Son were the supplier supplying Polykegs into breweries. Um, so poor, poor John at Murphy and son got this task of, of, okay, we got to deal with this recycling issue now. Um, I feel quite sorry for him. Um, so he set up, I mean, so pretty much Murphy and son acted on this and they set up this scheme where they were collecting them back from us. Uh, it wasn't very efficient because it was non crushed whole lightweight kegs, but they've had a route past us. So it was going back on their own lorry. So it wasn't that bad. Um, but it was going to this company that, as Justin said, uh, turned them into garments. So in the recycling industry, that's ca- pretty much called downcycling. Yep. So it's not—it's turning it from a, a potentially multi-use plastic object to something that's pretty much guaranteed to be single-use. Um, but it's better than nothing. Uh, so we were content with that. It solved the key logistics problem in that we had—we could continue to collect them from the customers, solve their issue. And they were being collected from us, which solves our issue Uh, in all of this. So we we're actually a registered waste carrier to do all this. And Murphy's a registered waste carrier. So it's all sort of above board on, on the whole kind of chain of responsibility as well. What happened is without any warning, it got shut down. Our last collection on that scheme was before Christmas. And it took until sometime in January for anyone to admit to me that this isn't happening anymore. Um, By that stage, we have 500 empty kegs sat in our yard and nowhere for them to go. Right, wow. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so it's a little bit of a problem for us. As a small business, we don't really have that much space and uh, we don't have a lot of time to run around trying to find ways to deal with these things. Uh, So they had something, it fell apart and nothing has really been offered in replacement uh, we have spoken, so they gave us a list of other people who are recycling them, but we spoke, well, two of them are literally not, we'd have to be, we're talking about shipping pallets of empty kegs to Scotland sort of thing. And that's, well, the, what does that add? That adds about £2.50 per keg onto the handling mm. Um It's difficult to work out how to make that work. Either increasing the price of all beer doesn't really work, especially if we're the only people doing it um so that's not really a solution and then the other one was was some other guys who do a similar thing to us i spoke to them and they've got the same problem we have basically um they're having to manually try to work out how to strip these things down and find their own solutions for the plastics right. um uh and uh, after years of doing that sort of thing i know that it's not easy yeah um, just so i'm, I'm-
0: Clear when you said half of around 50% of the kegs overnight became poly kegs. Was this that was had somebody bought out key keg and then all basically was like, you're not having key kegs anymore, you're having poly kegs, or is it yeah, exactly? Right. So,
2: so, so Murphy and Son are a major supplier to the brewing industry and they were supplying quite a lot of breweries with their key kegs, right? I see. Uh, they did a deal with poly keg basically where poly keg stepped in and said, Look, we, we we're selling this product, it's it's I don't know, they probably it's probably better than key keg. I don't know if it's cheaper, but basically they managed to do this switch over uh, with the claim that this keg is a hundred percent replacement for a key keg. So it shouldn't thus affect anyone that badly. Mm. Um Uh, Though, obviously, in various ways, it wasn't 100% equivalent slash identical. (laughs) Um, So that's what happened. And that's what caused this massive change. Overnight, suddenly, the balance shifted. So we were getting almost all key keg back, which we had a good solution for. Uh, And then suddenly 50% of it was poly kegs, which we had no solution for. So it it took a while, but eventually, Murphy's implemented this thing with the garment recycling. Uh, By that stage, we had a couple of thousand of the damn things, I think. Um, So they cleared them all out. uh, And then we had this thing where they're regularly picking them up. Um, But uh, that since fell apart entirely. Right. And um,
0: in that little tweet thread uh, you put out you you referred to the industry being like uh, quote unquote smoke and mirrors and es- essentially people talking about how they're going to become carbon neutral and environmentally friendly et cetera et cetera but yeah ha- there's a how much of it do you think is rhetoric and and I mean I'm sure even some of that might be unintentional um, from brewers but um, just due, maybe due to an awareness about what ha- happens at the end of the supply chain so to speak
2: I think in the case of Plastic Kings a lot of it is Relatively unintentional. Um, I think that people don't delve deeper, and possibly don't want to delve deeper. Uh, they could if they chose mm. to.
0: <laughs> I mean, why? Why do you um, think, as an industry, and, and the commentators on that industry aren't talking about those supply chain issues as much as you think they ought to be? And I, I know there are some out there that do
2: talk quite extensively on it. Um, but I think, well, I think Matt Curtis made the correct observation in that it's not that interesting. Right. Um, The the readership does not care enough. Um, They're not excited by these stories. Uh, So the only way to make it an interesting story is to make it a drama. Um, That is what would work. And the only way to actually have any impact is really to make it affect people's pockets. Mm. Uh, So, you know, you, we, we actively have a situation where I have key customers who won't buy product in Polykeg now, um, which actually represents several grand a year, um, possibly per month lost sales. Some of these guys, um, that's just us. Mm. It's one small distributor, uh, but the problem is the breweries aren't aware of that unless anyone tells them and makes an issue of it because they, they don't think down to that level sometimes. Um, so then the next level up the chain is really the people who should be fixing this poly keg. Um, and you need it to hit them, so you need people switching back to key keg uh, so that they go, oh, we've got to fix this problem because it's a competitive issue unfortunately in the real world as it is today it's a capitalism issue <laughs> it's got uh, it's got to hurt people's pockets before mm. anyone gives a crap yeah um, sadly that is the way of the world yeah. and the making the more correct moral/ ethical choice is rarely the default option mm. especially if it costs you more money yeah um, because then if it costs you more money it it, it affects your competitiveness in the market, um, and that has obviously knock-on effects for your business. And uh, so, yeah, you know, we we struggle with this as well. So we've traditionally done a lot more with things like recycling than other distributors, but that doesn't come without a cost in resources, time, and money. Um, uh, same with anything else, and what someone might do to improve how they do things if you if you want to invest in making things better in some way you've got to be able to recoup that investment otherwise you're going to go out of business Mm. uh some breweries are lucky that they've got the names and the traction to sell at much higher prices than others uh uh, most don't really have that luxury so it's a it's a complex economic problem, yeah. Um, on top of everything else, which is why, which is why you've got to make the, the recycling slash plastic slash everything
1: else issue an economic problem, mm. before anyone will really do anything. The whole, the whole motivation of speaking <laughs> out in the first place was to create that situation where yeah. it became a talking point that people felt they needed to discuss. Get it, get it out, get out there, and talk about it. I wouldn't say it's the whole motivation. No, I am gen,
2: I am genuinely pissed off about this stuff (laughs) you know that's where this comes from it personally upsets me Um, that's kind of the key reason this becomes an issue Um, and as Justin says then it's like well how do we do something about this well we've got to tell people we've got to make an issue of it because otherwise it's just going to happen and no one's going to care no one's going to know and if they don't know then they can't care it's, a, it's the same with any issue. It's uh, uh, breweries, other businesses, whoever, doing the wrong thing, underpaying staff, things like the brew dog situation, for example. Um, until it hits the news, the airwaves, whatever, uh, it's not known about by most people. Um, so there's an element of like you've got to talk about it to make it an issue, a lot of people are like, oh, we don't want to rock the boat, um, and that's why a lot of things don't get spoken about yeah. people are uh, don't want to be seen as that person mm. who's making a fuss. Sometimes, um, depending on what the issue is. Um, but I, back to the original thing about the media, or you know, I, I, I think Justin referred to influencers on Twitter. Um, uh, I do think that. the correct situation well the the, rea- the reality as Matt put it is that you can't you know you can't write a, a pellicle article on this without a lot more meat to make it interesting. Um, people want to know about brands they want to uh, know breweries is what I mean by brands people want to know about beers people like to hear about pubs and things and bigger bigger more interesting sort of conceptual stuff about, about drinks. Uh, but logistics and supply chain and waste management uh, are not exactly the uh, pulling headlines for the uh, for the reading public. Yeah, I think.
0: Well, this is why I was interested in getting you on the podcast. I mean, I've, I've been wanting to get you guys on for a while to talk about um, you know the the cold chain stuff and um, distribution side, which maybe will come if we've got time we'll come on to the end. But um, you know, yeah. it is an issue that brewers need to be aware of. Um, you know, I, I mean, I remember um, when we started, this is when I was back at Sheffield Brewery and we started filling um, One trip Kegs, you know, the landlord of the pub that we own, just being like, what the hell do I do with this? I'm like, well, you can yeah. recycle it. It's like, no, I can't, they won't take it. So it's just like, you know, it's 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 kind of like, there's, that, there's almost a mindset, um, I think, particularly in the Western world with, with recycling, where it's like, you put it in your blue bin or whatever, and you're like, I've done my job. And then it's only like... Years later, you see a, a documentary on BBC where, you know, recycle, recycling, quote, unquote, that we can't actually recycle ends up in India or Turkey in these massive heaps. And yeah. it's just like, well, we can't do anything either. We'll just get it to poor countries then, you know. And there's something yes. really, really fucked up about it.
1: No, it's a, it's a, it is a big issue. And one of the reasons I'm particularly interested in it is a good friend of mine is a recycling consultant. And his entire job is working out how to get rid of these big piles of waste that are sitting around the country and sitting around more and more in other countries now um, where stuff that we can't deal with is shipped to third world, poorer countries and it ends up being someone else's problem, as you say. There is that kind of mindset of, oh, well, we've dealt with that. That's gone. Move on to the next thing. What else can we we put in plastic? Um. (laughs) But
2: that's what goes all the way up the chain. It's like the brewers just fill their plastic containers and send them out into the world, and then it's not their problem anymore. Um, uh, It's just like, well, it gets stockpiled somewhere, like you say, or it gets buried. Uh, But uh, no one's really thought about this entire chain of uh, responsibility, the waste generated at the end of it. Um, as you say, you you send this to a pub and the pub, especially early on in this sort of thing, um, the, a lot of pubs have never seen plastic kegs before. And they just, just normally, they empty a keg or a cask and then it gets picked up. Mm. It's a nice circular system. The, the, the key, something we haven't spoken about is steel. Um, so, you know, steel kegs and casks, they're, they're a great system. You You put beer in them, pub uses beer get container back, clean container, refill it, and it just keeps going around and around a circle. And kegs and casks last for years and years and many refills. And uh, the problem is they're a big upfront cost and yep. you can't export in them really. Um, I know that some of the rental keg companies have are trying or have tried to set up a more international scheme i think that was the is or was the keg star goal so you could send pallets of kegstars into europe uh, but they haven't i think got that penetration into europe yet to make that work um and then you'd have steel kegs flying around because that has its own problems nothing is black or white yep. black and white red yep. um steel kegs for example uh we can i can't remember the exact numbers but we can effectively fit about 10 more plastic kegs in a standard three-and-a-half-ton van load. Mm. So that immediately affects economies of scale and revenues for a small business. You know, 10 kegs, we're talking about a grand extra payload there. Um, So steels cause a problem in their inherent weight, uh, which means we're both burning more diesel per keg of beer. Um, And then those steels need to be shipped back, again, heavier weight. So they're going to be burning more diesel per keg. Um, on return uh, and i am led to believe by people probably mostly trying to sell the concept of plastic kegs that the washing process for kegs is very energy intensive chemical intensive the chemicals have carbon footprint as well of course uh generate chemical waste um, so you know nothing's none of these solutions are ever going to be perfect. Um I'm leaning these days more towards the seals just because I'm kind of sick of dealing with the plastic keg problems. Um but uh I think people need to give seals some pretty strong consideration especially in the domestic market. Mm-hmm. Um uh <laughs> you know I know breweries who fill plastic kegs um to use just over over in their own taproom. Um it's like why are you doing that? Mm. Um, I understand why if, you, if, if you're always filling the same sort of keg, that's a lot easier um, than, than trying to fill two different sorts of kegs. Uh, and if you've got a big export market, it's much easier to default to your, your poly keg or your key keg yeah. than it is to to fill 50% into steel kegs and 50% into plastic kegs for export. And then managing that kind of expectation and flow of like, how many of this do we fill? Where's our demand level? So. I know why it happens.
1: It's- I think that's where it, that's where it cuts in is on the um, filling side. How do you how do you manage that side? How do you presume what percentage of what product is going for export or going going to wholesale or going wherever? Um, and I think that's the hard thing for brewers. I mean, certainly when I was at Moore, um, we used to fill everything into um, the old eco kegs and then switched to key keg for export and had for a while a split of um, key keg and ekeg and various other things and managing that um, split between different formats was extremely difficult and in the end it went all, all the way over to key keg which made a the job of the um, production management and the sales management a lot easier. And B, didn't cause shortfalls where we had, I don't know, um, 10 key kegs of product X that were going to go into the UK market and then the pubs go, well, can't we have these all the time? Or why are you giving us these? Because <laughs> it didn't meet their expectation of what they're expecting to get from us. And that caused problems as well. So I think I think there are various issues around choice of products as to what you fill beer into. But I think the thing that you that brewers should be doing that maybe they're not as regularly as I'd like to see, is thinking about how that works, you know, and thinking about what the end use, end users situation is going to be for those products. Because if it's key keg then and it's sold by us, then it comes back to us and we send it back to keycake, which is great. If it's sold by someone else, then it maybe it becomes the pub owner's problem at the end of the day. And then they go looking for other solutions. So it's it's a very, very complicated issue at the end of the
2: day. We do collect anybody's geek eggs, just to clarify on that. Um if if you're our customer, we will collect your key kegs. Now, we do charge customers for this um, uh, because of the amount of work involved in in effectively collection, but mostly the handling at the warehouse side. We've got top and tail them, um, and then we bale them into bales of the centre bits and the black bits separately. Uh, makes life easier at the key keg end for the recycling if they're separated somewhat.
0: What happens to the bag out of interest? I've always been curious what happens to that bag on the inside.
2: As far as I'm aware, that does not have a recycling solution. Um, so I believe the bag and the coupler seating are removed and go into a different waste stream. The clear PET and the black polypropylene is recycled. Um, so I believe that's what happens with the geek kegs. They would have to clarify on that. Um, the, the, one of the problems I have with geek is their messaging is sometimes a little unclear um, and, and incomplete. They are working on it, but uh, like just simple things, like me wanting to find a list of everyone who's collecting key kegs in the UK, because you know we get inquiries from someone in some random part of the UK, and it's like, well, I'd love to help you, but I can't. It's not physically possible for us to collect key kegs from you. Um, but I'd like to be able to go. But this person can. So there's a group up in up in Manchester, I think Barry. Uh, who are called WDS. So they, they're part of One Circle. So they collect them. So if that, someone's up there, we get an inquiry because we make the most noise about recycling key kegs because uh, they talk to those guys. Um, so that's great. Uh, but they need to be a little bit more communicative about this. But also what happens, I, I believe very strongly in a, rel- in a level of openness and honesty, if you can't recycle this foil plastic bag part, say that, you know. Um, admit it, and, and 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 say, well, we're looking for a solution at least. Um, well, this this comes
0: down to the messaging thing, and it's some of that always gets my goat. About um, when you go to a supermarket, and you you know you buy some ham, for example, and um, you've you've <laughs> got the you've got the tray which is recyclable, but then it's got the film thing on top, and it says, um, not currently recycled or something. So some yes. something where it's like you, you're trying to turn a, a negative into a positive, oh, we don't do this yet. And it's
2: like, just say you can't recycle it. Just call a spade a spade. Absolutely. I mean, the, the res- the, as we said before, the whole recycling industry for plastics is a mess. Mm. Um, very specific, recognisable plastics will be recycled. Everything else will either get burnt or buried. Um, and films are a problem. Plastic films are, are difficult to recycle. The biggest problem is identification. So, You've got a piece of plastic, it could be one of various things, and you've got to know what it is before you can adequately recycle it. Uh, also, if it's, if it's plastic film, it may have something like a paper sticker on it that is pretty much more than half the bulk of the, the film anyway, um, which is massively inefficient. Uh, it's similar with cans. So obviously, craft beer, small batches, it's problematic to get cans printed. Uh, So everyone's using stickers, um, even for quite large scale. Uh, That has grown to the point that it is actually having an economic impact on the can recycling industry. You know, They're not panicking, but it's been a while. Uh, I don't know, it's just grown since then, obviously. But I did speak to a UK can recycling company, and they were recognising this as an active problem they had to deal with. The fact that every can comes with a couple of grams of plastic. Uh, that goes into their smelting process, generates uh, more toxic fumes. They have full capture, of course, but that means that their full capture systems need to be cleaned or replaced or filters changed more often. I have no, mm. no idea how that tech works. Um, so that increases costs. Uh, it increases the amount of energy they need to use to to melt down the, the aluminium. Uh, so these things all have an impact. Um it's like, well, this thing's a perfectly recyclable object, but is it?
0: Um, well, are you talking about the the can itself with the plastic liner on the inside? Are you talking about the label, because I know that um, we, the you, label, yeah, yeah, because they, they, they've got yeah. like a varnish on, haven't they? And you can, because I remember, yeah. So all
2: all, yeah, no, all cans have a uh, I can't remember. It's like a BPA plastic mm. internal liner. Um, it's effectively sprayed on, and it's it's I can't. It's like micrometers thick. It's tiny. Right. Um, but someone, I think it was possibly Jeff Rosenmeyer at um, uh, Lover Bonds. Uh, he actually uh, put a can in uh, acid or something and melted the uh, melted the sta- aluminium off it, just to show that that look there's a there's a, wob- actually oh, a wobbly plastic seen, bag inside like the can. Um, it was on Twitter, yeah. So yeah, there's a plastic liner, but it's very thin. It's it's. In all cans, so that's an accepted part of the mm. can recycling industry. There is a plastic liner. It will get burnt off in the processing, in the recycling. Um, so that plastic just gets burnt. Uh, the labels are a far bigger component of the cat, um, but labeled cans are still a tiny part of the overall yep. aluminium can stream. So, so most of the cans going to recycling are big brand beers, Coke, cans and soft drinks and stuff. So it's a small amount, but it's a growing amount, and it does have an economic impact on what is a very thin margin industry um, and very volatile based upon commodities prices. Um, so the the can recycling guys are aware of the issue. Mm. Uh, 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 but like I said, last I spoke to them, which was before COVID, they were not panicking about it. Um, for, for the record, Cat and I—we actually peel the stickers off our cans before we put them in the recycling. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it makes much impact to the world overall, but it's a little. Yeah, bit. but if everyone did it, you know, because uh,
0: when I became aware of it, I started peeling them off.
2: Yeah, I mean, how many people really sort their recycling, their household recycling, properly? Anyway, it's uh, like you talk about the films. Most mm. people will just throw that whole plastic object into the bin with the film attached. Which causes problems down the stream. Yep. It may result in that whole thing not being recycled, um, uh, because they're different different plastics. It's like uh, if you look at things like shampoo bottles and stuff, often they have little logos on them, basically to say remove this lo- label before recycling. Um, I've seen that on a few different products. I've seen it on some cans too, actually. Um,
1: yeah, there's, there's a couple of people who print down there. Yeah.
2: I think I saw it on the Coles cans maybe. Um but they also use a their cans are interesting that they use a, a shrink wrap uh what's it called the like a starch a based um label. Mm. Hmm? A sleeve. So, yeah, it's uh, a. Yeah. Did you say it was starch st- starch based because I know that you
0: can get those plastic ones, can't you, which I I really hate.
2: Yeah, so it's a shrink wrap label but it's um uh it's 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 based upon plant materials. Right. I don't think it's PLA. It's something like that, though. It's like some sort of cellophane. I don't know. Um, but So it's 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 like a plastic label, but it's not a fossil fuel-derived plastic right? Um, such. Uh, I think they're the only people I've seen doing that in the UK. Um, it's pretty rare. Most people are using stick-on plastic labels, basically. Yeah.
0: So here's the golden question for you guys. What do you think the ideal solution would be all round to combat Um, particularly the keg thing?
2: Um, So recycling is kind of the only real solution at the moment, and the ideal solution is for the manufacturer to take responsibility for their product and set up the correct recycling chain because they're the only people in the position to really be able to deal with the correct bulk to make it work properly. Mm. Um, It's hard. I mean, we're we're quite a small business Comparatively, So it's hard for us to gather enough plastic to make it something that we can do um, without it having to go up another level. Mm. So we need another level to send these things to. Um, the ideal solution is, look, as close to the ideal solution as you can get for plastic kegs is going to be what Keykeg do, where they themselves have built their own recycling infrastructure and they collect back their own plastic kegs and process them and make more kegs out of them. Um, It's not a solution to the whole overall problems of plastics because 100% recycled PET is actually not high enough quality to create the sorts of containers that are needed for food. Mm. So I don't know where they can get to, but they're at 39% recycled right now. Uh, You can't go massively higher. I think, I I can't, I don't know, remember the limits, but um, it's probably not much over 50%. So there's always going to be a percentage of virgin fossil fuel derived plastic in it. Um, So that is, A problem, the real solution is to sort of generate a product out of a non fossil fuel derived plastic. Uh, PLA, for example, which is a plant derived plastic. There's uh, the classic I am not a plastic cup cups um, that are plastic cups made of PLA. Um, It's a bit of a lie because PLA is a plastic, it's just a plant derived plastic. And it's not as wonderful as you might think it is because it still creates microplastics. Uh, If you put it in the normal waste, it will still last for thousands of years in landfill. So the only real way it breaks down is to make sure it goes into a stream where it is put into a high heat composter. Um, So proper biodigester type system. Mm. Um, So the whole waste chain is the problem there. Uh, So even if you make all these things out of something like PLA, you still have to deal with the waste responsibly. Um, I think responsibility is the key thing there is – The the real solution to all of this is for everyone to be more responsible for what they're doing. Um, But I don't like the concept of pushing this down the chain. I don't think the pubs are the primary responsible parties. Just like I don't think consumers should be held responsible for all of the recycling woes of the world because that quite often is just like you get these companies basically say, well, if you just sort your plastics right, or if the consumers do their things right, everything will be fine. Um, <clears throat> meanwhile, they've got executives flying all over the world in, 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 in jets all the time. Uh, so it's like, okay, where are the real problems here? <laughs> mm. well, it's just like the hot potato,
0: isn't it? It's just because the hot potato keeps getting thrown until somebody else holds it.
2: We, I think we should all individually and as businesses take as much responsibility as we can. Um, but the people with the power to do the most stuff, to do the, to fix the problems the best, are the ones further up the chain. For above us, that's going to be breweries. And above the breweries, it's going to be the manufacturers of the plastic kegs. Mm. So we want to see more people doing what Key Keg have done and setting up proper recycling chains. Um, uh, or oh, there's the alternative. Uh, if you're a brewery and looking at all these options, obviously at least, again, for the domestic market, why not just use steels? Um, I don't think I don't think there's any I don't think any solution's perfect. the The, the perfect solution is to not ship beer around the country. Yeah. Um, we we burn diesel. You know, um, as a logistics business, effectively, our job is to burn diesel to move things around. I hate it. Um, electric vehicles are nowhere near ready enough for our sort of hauling. Mm. Um, it'll happen. And I look forward to that day, but we're not there yet. Um, we do carbon offset, something we've started doing recently. I'm not a big believer in carbon offsetting, but I'm also a believer in do what you can. Um, we can't help but burn these. Just, there's just nothing else we can do other than, say, shut down business and not deliver beer anymore. But if we don't do it, then someone else will deliver that there, yeah. and they will probably be less responsible than us. So what we do is we calculate our annual carbon footprint, which is mostly diesel, followed by electricity. And we buy twice that amount of carbon offsetting, um, just to make damn sure that we're offsetting all of it plus some. Um I don't believe carbon offsetting is ultimately the real solution to these problems. Um, But if we can contribute to projects that are making things better in other parts of the world, uh, we contribute to a a combination of projects. So we contribute to um, schemes that improve technology in, in other nations, developing nations, Um, which, you know, I like the feel of though it does have this slightly condescending, well, here we are, the big Western power. Um, destroying the planet here, have a clean burning stove, you people in Africa, it's all your fault. It's like, yeah. come on, <laughs> we should be taking direct responsibility for what we're doing. We're the ones polluting the world more so than the than developing nations are, yeah. um, for the most part. Um, but it's it's looking at what can we do. So that's something we can do. So we'll do that. Yeah. We're only a small business. We, we can't solve the world's problems. Um, and we also contribute to some tree planting schemes um again planting trees well what does that really do trees capture carbon because they are physically made of carbon what happens in 100 years is that tree still going to be standing has someone cut it down and burnt it um it's also far from an ideal solution um the scheme we use plants a tree in the uk and a tree and supports planting a tree in another country so at least that's doubled up and I think it's again, it's a case of due diligence. I'm guessing. Uh, I'm guessing
0: that tree's not in the lost forest.
2: <laughs> no, no. I, I, don't think, I don't think they've. I don't think they found the lost forest yet. Where is uh, the it's mysterious a, lost it's forest? It's still lost. A mythical place. It's, 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 um, <laughs> uh, wasn't it? Brew, Brewdog is still waiting for the government to pay for it. I think was the issue there. <laughs> they were after some massive grant. Um, yeah. <sighs> yes, yep um, it's obviously a, a a whole tricky world. being trying to do the correct thing in an ecological way is very hard and incompatible with running most sorts of businesses. Mm. <laughs> yeah um,
0: and we just try the best we can. yep Have you guys got a, a couple of minutes for a couple of bonus questions? Yeah, yeah, Uh, yeah, sure. So this is nothing to do with what we've been discussing. I'm just quite curious. With you guys obviously being distributors, you've got some good breweries um, under your belt who you uh, distribute around the the country. But as a distributor, what do you look for when you're partnering with a brewery? Uh, This
2: is a question that is discussed often. Um, So... My number one thing, I, mean, I, st- I started this business to sell beers from breweries I liked because they weren't in the area I was in. And the styles of beer they were brewing were not in the areas I was in. But I knew pubs. I, don't, I have a background working, working work the wrong word, but I have a background doing stuff with camera, uh, just camera festivals, camera festival organizer, and the kind of on the street running around pubs telling them they're doing shit wrong kind of aspect of camera i didn't like that bit but it's, it's really funny you walk into a pub with some old camera guy and he sort of glares at the hand pumps and then and and, and and says something to the landlord and you just see the landlord sort of staring st- stabbing them you know it's like <laughs> uh it's a funny funny world um so you know but i did i did that stuff so i got into beer into moving into the UK, I was already a beer drinker, but I, I got into the ale side of things because that's where the interesting beer was. There was no interesting keg beer in the UK in 2006, really. Um, and as part of the camera festival organizing, I did. I used to buy beer in from all over the country. So it used to be the case that the branch I was in just bought pallets from one or two of the very few distributors that did that sort of thing back then. So I started actually running around, going to different breweries. So I got to know the brewers. Um, I got to know quite a lot of pubs, and then events like Indie Man kind of knocked things up another level. Um, we've spoken about Brewdog, so I was basically a first round Brewdog shareholder, as they call it. Are you, are you a millionaire now? Um, um yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I can't wait to cash out, um, somehow someday. Um, we bought one share each, so not quite a millionaire's, um, and who knows what will ever come of that. And, in a lot of ways, I've drifted far away from BrewDog these days. Um, but you know, in 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 2009, they were pretty exciting. Cask mm-hmm. um, Punk IPA, um, which is probably my first exposure to them in a pub in Cambridge, was like, wow, what is this? Um, it's like you know, there's lots of comparisons between it and Jaipur, but it was like another level.
0: Yeah, I was going to say it's probably like drinking Jaipur. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Punk IPA these days has been watered down and has, you know, they used to, what Dicky used to rally against lowest common denominator stuff, but Punk IPA has been lowered mm. in its common denominator. It has become a fairly basic drinkable beer. Um, nothing wrong with that in a way unless you miss the old punk. Um, but, yeah, I, I, was, I got really into beer. I was a beer nerd. Um, and I wanted to sell these beers that I was tasting and thought were fantastic to local pubs, um, so that is the core ethos. The beer has got to be good. Um, we don't buy based upon price or pure economic sort of thing. You know, if we get if we get a brewer coming to us and it looks good on paper, it's not it's not everything. So we want to know that. The, as Justin mentioned earlier. Um, we have this kind of concept of good and evil. We don't want to work with companies that obviously have a bad rep, um, especially in light of recent kind of me Too spit out movements in the mm. beer industry. You know, we, we watch all that. We watch those breweries. We see if a brewery's had complaints against it and they do nothing, we, we will move away from them as we have um, no names are going to be mentioned. Um And uh, others, there's breweries that I had, I spoke to their founders and we had a discussion about things. And I am content that they are moving in the correct direction. We're still working with those breweries. Uh, So there's a lot to it. Uh, It's it's not just, oh, this beer is great, let's sell it. It's uh, this beer is great and the business is are good people um and there is ultimately going to be a business aspect so we can't logistically deal with um someone who's got a 200 litre brew kit in their garage um we get people like that coming to us and they're really enthusiastic and they want well, we, we want to go into wholesale it's like well unfortunately for us if we're not able to sell sort of two grand worth of your beer a month or at least at a time um we can't capture the minimum economies of scale we need for that to work. Um, uh, all your beer is going to have to be priced at a fairly non-competitive rate. And is that really what you want out in the market? It's a complex question. Yep. So every brewery has to be considered individually. Yeah. Mm. Um, but the two key things are good beer and good people. Yep. Um, uh, that's kind of the core of my personal ethos.
1: Um And it's really hard to judge. I'm the one who deals with most of the incoming inquiries from breweries. Um, Things I want to see are good branding, um, product that we can happily stand behind, sensible pricing. Um, It's a lot harder, for instance, to sell London beers outside of London than it is to sell outside of London beers into London because the price expectation of those London brewers is a lot higher than maybe the um, others. Mm. So um, it's always a consideration. We we have a fairly, fairly fixed margin on what we do. So if you charge me a larger price for the beer coming into me, then that's going to be passed on to the consumer at the other end. So if your beer, after we've handled it, comes out at an uncompetitive price, then you're going to struggle. Whereas if you're sensible and you thought about the benefits of wholesale, then we um, get a lot better results that way. And it it, it is a lot about that. It's how seriously are you taking wholesale? Because if you're going to us expecting us to sell beer at a similar price to that, you sell to your local market. That generally doesn't work so it does require some thoughts from the again from the brewer side of things of how do i make this work for all the parties involved so yes we can we can give you volume we can give you reach we can give you distance and we can give you all the marketing and back office support that we do so if you sell beer to us your beer goes out for your warehouse on day X and you get paid for it on day Y every single time. Mm. There's no chasing the pubs for it. There's no worrying about whether or not you'll get paid for this lot. All those things are taken out of your hands. Um, We do a lot of active selling as well. So we're out there with people on the streets who are selling the beers that we represent to the publicans and to the bottle shop owners. And we take quite a lot of functions that breweries undertake as well. And we do those things for them. So when they when they think about price and what we do, I think a lot of them don't really realise quite how much of a service they get for their product when they come to us. Yep.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, it's um, a distribution problem in general. I mean, uh, <laughs> in a world where you can ship something dead cheap via a courier, um, a lot of distribution gets compared on price to couriers. If it costs five quid to courier a case of beer across the country, brewers go, well, the value of distributing this case is five quid without considering the fact that distributors take on account management, credit risk, uh, sales and marketing overheads, <laughs> higher quality of service. I mean, I have guys and other distributors have their own staff who deliver the beer to the pub. It's a It's a professional service. And we get compared to DHL lobbing a case of beer through the door. Um, us, and I know, I know I know we're not the only ones in distribution. We 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 are uh, living wage employers, um, real living wage, not the pretend government one. Um, and uh, we look after our staff, whereas we get compared to a courier company that overworked its staff. Uh, in a lot of cases, on an hourly basis, pays under living wage, un- under minimum wage in some cases. Um, uh, and uh, and it's not a like for like. And this similarly goes back to the responsibility thing from Brewer perspective, is that have you really thought about the supply chain? It's like you can be sitting there crowing about how you pay living wage and how, how you look after your staff and how you do all the right things, but then you're fobbing your beer off to people who don't. Um, should you be responsible for who you're selling your beer to? Um, Should you be responsible for who you're buying your supplies from? Um, Should we be put into a situation where us as proper professional distributors, including our competition, are effectively put up in competition against DHL and and Yodel and, and all these guys who are not providing a quality of service? And we look for... we as Justin was implying, we look for a more complete strategic view from brewers. Brewers need to be thinking ahead five years. Um, Not who, not, not, not just about tomorrow's sale. Um, And that's one of the big problems. The craft industry is relatively young. Mm. It's got relatively young and experienced sales and owners in it, sales staff and owners. Um, Mm. Which who don't necessarily have much industry strategic thinking experience and they're just worried about selling some beer tomorrow um and not thinking about a longer term plan. Um and I think partnering properly with distributors in general, be it us, other distributors, partnering properly with professional um businesses in the industry is the long term way to do things. Yeah. Um I could be wrong. Maybe the future's couriers and, and underpaid drivers flinging beers through doors. Um,
0: Sorry, we missed this you. capital cards.
2: Yeah. I, <laughs> oh, the beer was in the bin yeah. or left it in your bin. <laughs> but you know, this is this is this is this is our late stage capitalist world. Mm. Everything's turning into Amazon, um, and maybe we can't fight that but we will continue to try to do a very good job looking after the product cold storing it as we mentioned earlier implementing cold chain um and and just trying to be good people as well yeah um not cutting corners cool well i I mean i think we've
0: run out of time um for today i mean i'd love to swing by um jolly good beer one day and, and actually you know, do another episode on your cold chain stuff and the cold store because the, the stuff on your blog is really interesting about that. <laughs> and uh, you're not too far from uh, my in-laws, so uh, might, might be worth a trip. Yeah. But uh, th- thanks for being on the show. How, how can people find out more about
2: Jolly Good Beer and and buy beers for their bar and pub? <laughs> um, so the primary way to find out about us is to obviously just go to our website, which is jollygoodbeer.co.uk. Um, we have contact forms or just email us on contact at jollygabeer.co.uk, uh, which Justin or Greg or one of the other guys will pick up and handle pretty quickly. Um, oh, we, We're like any wholesale distribution business. You get in touch, we send you a customer form, you fill in the details, and and our sales guys will will look after you. Um, that's uh, what we do after all.
1: People phone me over a number on the website, they get me.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah and that's not a reason <laughs> yeah if they want us ranting about plastic cakes they can follow us on Twitter don't really do other social media platforms Dan Humphrey looks after the Instagram but it's mostly about selling beer and uh, uh, Facebook is disgusting so yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: well it's that time again at the bar for another week of the hot four podcast don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, and all other good platforms. Be sure to visit hotforward.beer to find out how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. We make your beer look as good as it tastes, and we help you brew up a better business through branding, marketing, and consultancy. Remember to follow us on social media at HotForwardBeers, and for another week, cheers.